0: Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Good evening everybody. Equipping service. Lord from our from our nursery uh, through our 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 children, through our youth and young adults and adults, and we just thank you that we have a time every week to come together and just grow in your word at all these different levels. I thank you for all the teachers and people that work and plan and prepare to sow into this body, and we just know that that you're nurturing and nourishing and maturing us and deepening our roots. Through this ministry, and so we're just so thankful for it. Um, we just pray for those that are out of town, those that are homesick, those that are watching online. Lord, you just minister to their hearts as they hear this message. Let it let it resonate. Let it pierce. Let it encourage. Let it instruct. Let it correct. Let it let it do what it needs to do to uh, bring us in alignment with you. And uh, we just thank you and praise you, Holy Spirit. Uh, you're our teacher, so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, right now, just bring revelation into each of our hearts uh, in this word, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, turn, our, uh, opening up our Bibles. Just going to read this again here in Matthew, in chapter five, and then we're gonna, we're just gonna kind of gonna pick up and keep going. So um, I did an introduction on a Sunday morning on kind of the the. Um, uh, the full Sermon on the Mount, chapter five, six, and seven, and then uh, this is our third week on Wednesday nights of kind of going deep. So this is our th- this is the beginning of our third night, and so far I've covered uh, seven verses. So uh, we're just going to take our time and listen to the Lord. But uh, Matthew chapter five again, if you're unfamiliar with it. Um, People are often familiar with the Beatitudes, but putting it in context, understanding that Jesus began to preach this message here on that mount, and it begins in in chapter 5, verse 1, and it goes all the way through chapter 7. So to get that message, to hear that whole message, you put all three of those chapters together and let him begin to unfold them to you, and that's kind of what we're, we're trying to do. So Matthew 5, 1. And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he uh, was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, so that's important to recognize that Jesus isn't t- uh, telling, or t- uh, talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to those who are following him, okay? And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. This is a spiritual mourning. We talked about that. For they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they'll obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart; they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake; for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll stop there in verse ten. So I'm I'm not going to go back too much, but um, so we've covered we've covered being poor in spirit. And the promise of that we've covered. Uh, uh, blessed are those who mourn, the spiritual mourning for the things of the kingdom of God. Uh, blessed are the meek, and what meekness is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We covered that, and then last week I finished with, uh, blessed are 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 the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And uh, time kind of ran out. I want to just I want to pick back up on that on mercy. And so, if if you if you missed it, go back and listen to it. Uh, but I'm just going to kind of tap in, and then we're gonna we're gonna get into the into the next one. But um, uh, but I, I felt like I didn't want to miss giving this to you when we're talking about the be about about being merciful and such an important uh, uh, part that in our lives that needs to be grown right? Like never before. We, we lack mercy so much. And again, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to believers. Amen. And we, and, and blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. I don't know about how many of you need mercy. (laughs) So the avenue to receive in mercy is being merciful. And so I kind of talked about that a little bit. I read a little bit of some other scripture where Paul was speaking, and Paul talks about long-suffering and how that means to suffer long, and in doing that, that we don't give up. And long-suffering is connected to being merciful. So when we're being merciful, part of being merciful is being willing to go through hard stuff with people and not quitting, again, not giving up. But but the, 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 the very definition of long suffering is that they're suffering him. Sometimes you got to suffer, suffer in being merciful. Because a lot of times, what, who we're walking through those things with are people that we love and we care about. So there's pain, there's things involved with that. Paul went on, he talks about saying how we bear with them, right? Uh, forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. And, um, so anyways, be merciful, um, but but what I wanted to, to uh, what I didn't get to talk to you about is I, I, I felt like um, highlighting three key areas that were called to show mercy, and obviously there's more, but I felt like if I was to put... If I was to put three categories in our lives that we need to be merciful in, the, these are three of the key ones. So I'm just going to give these to you, and then we're going we're to jump into the next one for tonight. But in, in regards to being merciful, here's three key areas. One area that we need to make sure that we're, we're releasing mercy is with people who mistreat us. When people mistreat us, we're called to still be merciful as Jesus was merciful. Now, here, here's the problem with that, is often this occurs within our family, right? It, it, it occurs within our church family. It occurs within our church leaders and the body, and it's, 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 it's in our tight-knit group, Often is where this happens at. So sometimes the most familiar relationships in our lives are the places where we can lack tender mercies the most. Right? Like I honestly believe a lot of times it's easier for us to show mercy to someone that's that's really down and out on the side of the road that we've never met before than someone close to us. And I'm like, God, break that off of us in Jesus' name. Amen tender mercy. So Lord, I'm just, I'm telling you, I feel this, I feel this, this whole series deep in my spirit. It's, uh, I could probably go the rest of the year on it, but let's just try to get through tonight. Um, so in Matthew 5 and 44, this Jesus, and again, this is in the, in the sermon, in the Mount in chapter five, verse 44, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies, love them, And bless those who curse you. So don't just put, don't just tolerate people. Don't just put up with them. Don't just like not throw a knife back at them. But Jesus said, I want you to love them. I want want you to get my heart for them. I want you to pray and ask me how I feel about them until it resonates inside of you. And then I want you to begin to release my plan over them. I want you to begin to bless them. Isn't that powerful? That's a, that's a powerful call, isn't it? And he says, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. So this happens, again, uh, I, I feel like where I wanted to focus on is this happens within our families, This happens within within the body of Christ. Jesus said, bless those who spitefully use you. Um, He says, carry the ministry of reconciliation, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So when we're thinking about this calling, these beatitudes, Jesus launching this message off of that mountain in these first 12 verses, and he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, one of the key areas is that we've got to operate that is when we feel mistreated, when we've been hurt, when we're wounded, uh, and, and we walk through that. The second area uh, that we're called to show mercy is when, when we recognize that people are suffering, But how many know that we're supposed to rejoice with one another and we're to mourn with one another? So God's calling us to a place of such sensitivity within within his creation, within the body of Christ and the people around us, amen, that we're releasing mercy in these areas. So the second area is is where people are suffering. So this this is a little different manifestation of mercy than showing mercy whenever someone's mistreated you. But we're called to this one as well. So the area that I thought about when I thought of mercy in regards to people suffering, the greatest example I could think of, and don't turn to it because we just don't have time tonight, but write it down and go read it. But it's in Luke in chapter 10, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I just want to kind of tell you about it real quick and I'll get most of it right, but read it for yourself to get the details. But in this parable, Jesus is given, and he's given this parable parable to to us about showing mercy. And so Jesus says in this parable, um, there's a there's a there's a man beaten, and uh, he he's beaten badly, and everything's taken from him, and he's left lying on the side of the road. He's literally helpless with nothing, beaten, laying on the side of the road. Right. All right, Luke chapter 10. And then so he goes on that parable and he says, okay, the priest, there's a priest that comes by, and to speed it up, I'll just go say, there's a priest and a Levite, okay, two two different men at two different times, first the priest, then the Levite, they come down the road, each of them sees him, and they, they look at him, and they walk past him on the other side of the road, so first the priest comes along, here's this guy, he's nearly naked, he's beaten, he's bleeding, everything's been taken from him, the priest comes along, and he's like, maybe he won't see me, I'm just kind of going to go over here and going around, and he he just keeps on going. And then the scripture says the same thing. Here comes this Levite, and he sees the man. He kind of avoids him. He goes around him, and he heads on down the road. I don't know. They were probably too busy, right? Because sometimes we're just in a big hurry, but maybe they just felt like, you know what? The priest was probably like, shh. I remember not too far down, I saw the Levite. He's coming this way, too. He, he, he'll stop since I'm busy. You know, the Levite maybe thought, hey, I saw the Samaritan. Maybe he'll stop. Come on, we do that, right? Nah, we're walking to Walmart. I'm, I just I don't have time for this today, Lord. I can see him, but Lord's bring someone else in there. Or maybe, I know you guys never do this, but maybe they looked at him and thought, you know what? I wonder what he did to deserve that. Like I wonder, I wonder about how many bad decisions that man's made in his life to get himself laying there on the side of the road, right? It's like, eh, they should have made better, better decisions. In life, so they, I, I know we don't think any of these things. I'm just saying, possibly, but. Here they go right on by. And then the Bible says that a Samaritan, the Samaritan comes and he sees him. So here's a Samaritan. He's coming. He sees this man. The Bible says in the parable that the Samaritan had compassion for this guy and he shows mercy. You know what he does? He he literally stops everything he's doing and he bandages the guy up. He like bandages him up. And then he gets the guy and he's like, well, here's my donkey. They stole his. He puts the guy on his own donkey. And then he walks with the guy all the way to the next town, and there's an inn there, and he takes the guy in, and he rents a room for several nights, and he pays for it with his own money, and he takes the guy up there to rest and to heal. And then he comes back down, and then he tells the innkeeper, he says, you know what? I know he's covered up to this many days. If it takes longer than that, let him stay. And when I come back, I'll check in with you, and I'll pay his debt in full. It's a powerful parable. And then in the end of that, in the end of that, in verse 37, Jesus is finishing this parable. This is what Jesus says. He says, He showed mercy on him. And then Jesus says, Church, go and do likewise. Jesus said, That's that's mercy. That's mercy. That's what I, that's what I want, that's what I want you to do. It's being moved to action to help the suffering of others. And so Sympathy, genuine sympathy and mercy takes action. Amen? All right, so that's the second one. I'm spending way too much time on this, but I just can't rush through this. Y'all going to have to just walk through it with me. The third thing, the third area. So what so was the first area? Um... When, when, we, when people have hurt us, when we've been mistreated. And then the second one is when we see people that we can help, that are suffering, that we have compassion, that we go let them see Jesus in us, that we do what we can do. And the third one, and this one can kind of be difficult, but the third one is when it's people who have stumbled into sin. It's having mercy for one another in the body of Christ, in our family, right, with people that we're walking with when they've stumbled into sin, especially when sin altered their life and their relationships and impacted yours in some way. And, and so I, I said this last week, but you remember the ministry of mercy is helping people see that they are accepted and valued by God. That's the ministry of mercy. At the end of the day, that's where it's core. And accepted and loved by you as a child of God and as his representative. Amen? And so it is It is loving people and showing tender mercy to people in their victories and in their failures. And the end go is always repentance and it's always restoration. So um, I guess uh, I should have defined this uh, last week, but... Um, in, in its simplest form, mercy is, is receiving what you don't deserve. And I don't know about you, but from the Lord, I've received what I don't deserve. And then he tells us, right, that we're to, to, that we're to re- release what we've received. And this is what he's calling us to. And so one last scripture real quick, and we're going to boogie. In Micah, Micah, Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 10, I'll quote it to you so you don't have to go there. It says, who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in showing mercy. How many of you are glad that God delights in showing mercy? And uh, he does. God loves showing mercy. Here's the issue. He wants us to delight in showing mercy. Amen. And so Lord help us. <laughs> so I'm just gonna leave that right there. You are welcome. <laughs> Number six. So the sixth beatitude is uh blessed, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's in verse 8, Matthew 5, 8. So I'm gonna talk about this one. Maybe I'll get to the next one, but we'll see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, how many times have you heard that? How many times? Have you guys heard that a lot? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Have you ever thought about what you just heard? Like really slow down and thought, wait a second, what's this saying? Because I want you to get this. This is powerful. This beatitude, like we should approach with a sense of awe and wonder when you really think about it. Blessed are the pure in heart... For they're going to see God. Those who are pure in heart shall see God. It means that you will experience God. You're going to encounter him. I just think, what an invitation, Clay, that God's given me and you as, as men, an old man and young man, that if we are living pure in heart and pursuing a pure heart, that we're, going to, we're just going to continue to see God, continue to see him. You're going to see him, then you're going to see him more, then you're going to see him more. You're going to grow in purity. You're going to see him more. You're going to experience him more. You're going to encounter him it's like layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And I just think, man, again, we we would we would this wouldn't just be some cute little saying if we really understood what Jesus was saying to us to these people, and there would be a sense of awe and wonder and desire to go after it. Really, if we grasp the reality of His promise here, man, it's so good. So so Jesus is offering the human race the ability to live with a fascinated spirit by experiencing God. You know how I know that? Because there is no way you can experience in God and not be fascinated with him. <laughs> you remember whenever I taught a couple Sundays ago opening us up where it says blessed, 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 blessed and um, uh, but, uh, in, in, in most places that's referenced out like to be, it's to mean it means vibrant, like vibrant in spirit. I don't know about you, but I've seen way too many dull people in church. Too many dull people too, too many dull Christians, too many Christians just trying to get by waiting for heaven to come. And there's no fire. There's no passion. There's no zeal. They don't feel God. Well, I'm going to tell you what, there's I mean, I don't want to point fingers or anything. I'm just saying, blessed are the pure at heart, we're going to see God. And when we're, when we're pursuing purity and we're seeing God, we're not going to see God without, without being fascinated by him. That leaves us in awe and wonder. Like, I never want to lose my awe and wonder for him. Right? That's my first love. He's everything. And, and, I, and I haven't, I, I, I feel I'm just getting started. Like, I'm just getting started. I've not seen all of God. I never will see all of God until I'm with Him. But there's this promise that I'll continue to encounter and experience and grow and live with the fascinated spirit as I'm experiencing Him. But the key to this, though, is that we can't miss is that He gives a clear condition, and, and that is that they have to walk in purity. Which then made me think of the scripture that we're familiar with in Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4 that says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And it's he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Everybody say pure heart. heart. So we're going to talk about what a pure heart looks like. I'm going to give you an assignment to go on your own this week and study what it means to have clean hands. Because why doesn't it just say pure heart? Why clean hands? There you go. Go do that. Clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. So what I want us to take away from this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, is that lustful uh, flesh desires diminish our capacity to experience God. When I've ever felt distant or felt dry or felt like I wasn't fully experiencing him or things were in the way, it has, it has followed trauma. It has followed situations or things in my life that hurt, maybe where I carried offense or, or anger or different things, something, somewhere in there where, I, where impurity began to m- grow in my heart out of that thing. Amen. Just telling you, this is just—I'm just being real with you. Flesh desires, giving into them, giving the enemy a foothold in any of those areas, diminish our capacity to experience God. And so, everybody, good. All right, so this is going to be good. I'm going to give you three. Um, I'm going to give you three areas that involve that are, that that uh, are involved with purity in our lives. Again, there's more, but. If we just focused on these three areas, it would would change our lives pretty drastically. So, three areas involved with purity. I'm going to give them to you, and I'm going to talk about each one of them. Morals, motives, and methods. We're talking about blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God And when I read something like that, then I'm gonna start begin to ask myself, okay, what's it mean to be? What's it look like to be pure in heart? What's it look like in Scott's everyday life as a pastor? What does it look like as a friend? What does it look like as a husband? What does it look like as a church leader? What does it look like as a neighbor? Um, Whatever, whatever that it is, and and I ask myself those questions, and it's like these three areas, like everything, kind of kind of could all be wrapped up in in these three sections, morals, motives, and methods. So let's talk about morals real quick. I feel like you guys understand this and have a grasp of it. We're going to dig into it. Maybe have you have a little different perspective on on this right here. But morals, a person's standards or behavior or beliefs concerning what what is and what is not acceptable for them to do. So having 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 it's having purity in our morals, uh, in our in our thoughts, in our words, and in our in our actions. In all three areas over there that we're pursuing, that we're living in purity in them and that we're able to stand before the Lord in those things. And so it's again, it's not giving in to the lust of our flesh. So when I think about this particular thing and our morals and how how that has changed so much today, it seems like with people in the church and we're compromising and trying to rewrite scripture and all this stuff, and it seems like more more people are wanting to conform to the pattern of the world than they are to the to to the word right and it's like i just want to be pleasing to god i want to have a pure heart because my number one purpose of having breath in my lungs today is to see god to see god and so i want to have that pure heart so we we know this and we we understand that there's a spiritual war going on. There's this battle between the spirit and the flesh, but the spiritual war to diminish and defile and to shut down our hearts in a spiritual way. So there, there there's this internal battle that we have. It's a heart battle. And uh, I'll read this to you real quick. You can turn to it if you want to, because it's just a book over in Mark. But I, I felt I felt led to share this with you uh, regarding this particular part of it in our morals. But Mark 7 in verse 21, it says, For This is Jesus. He says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Adulterous, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a man. So we're talking about purity, and we're recognized in this area of our morals and our standards and our our plumb line that we live off of of God's word, that we stick to that, and we know that as we're aiming at that, that there's an internal battle, right, that that Jesus even talks about here in Mark 7. So Jesus says to us, and and we have this challenge here in this Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the pure at heart, right, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the Pure in heart, so we have to resist, guys. Like, like to be, in, to to live in purity in in this day and age. And you know, it, it, sin's always been around. Sin's always been around. So it, it's increasing. Wickedness is increasing. But, but but just because it's it's increasing, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a deterrent or an excuse for us to live in compromise. Like we need to lock eyes with this promise of Matthew five eight and know that God says that if I pursue purity, I'm going to see Him. I'm going to experience Him. I'm going to live with a vibrant spirit. Come on, man, and and I'm going to encounter Him in these flesh ways. So we have to resist the lust of our flesh. It's a private internal battle, and we we do it out of out of out of desire to want to experience more of God. So it's 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 uh, you know. Uh, you know i don't know if you, help you've never told anyone this but you probably have heard someone else tell someone else this to you know follow your heart honey follow your heart sweetheart well not if you know the word because your heart's deceitful right so we lead our hearts With godly desire to be pure and with the pursuit of having morals, a moral standard in our life that lines up with his word. Amen. And again, we do all that out of desire to experience God. And um, so it's it's leading our hearts in living morally pure. Talking about purity, it's leading our hearts in living morally pure, godly character. Okay, so there's morals. Um, I want to talk about motives real quick. Having pure motives. Uh, Pure motives is seeking to give people more than we take from them. Um, Another way to look at that is it it's the heart posture behind why we are doing something. Like what's the true heart posture and purpose behind what we're doing, why we're doing something? So purity, purity is more than, than an issue of morals. Um, purity touches motives in our in our relationships, so we can we can maybe we can maybe abstain from from uh, immoral action outwardly, uh, being involved in doing things or that kind of stuff. Um, so we can we can walk free of immoral behavior and pursuits, but have motives that aren't pure in our interaction with people. And it's gonna affect how we see God. Does that make sense? It's like, what are my motives at this? Especially when my when my heart's really involved in it and and I really need to make a strong point or whatever that it is and stand up for something, whatever, like we need to do that. But I mean I'm saying we need to really begin to 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 put ourselves in the mirror of the Lord and have him reflect it back at us and say, Lord, what's my motive behind this thing? Right? Motives is so so important. So um, so purity is to seek to give people more than we seek to to take from them. That's part of that should be our motives with people in our interaction. The body of Christ and our family is how can we serve? How can I how can I release life into this situation and these people? Whatever that be. And so uh, an example of this in the Sermon in the Mount. We'll read this maybe in the next couple weeks, but it's in chapter five, verse thirty to 42, and it's the principle Jesus teaches about going the second mile, right? Whenever whenever we're, we're challenged or charged to carry, carry the backpack a mile, right? Legally, there was a requirement to go that mile, but he went two miles, and like, Jesus, I want you to go beyond what's expected of you. And that, that is part of where we want our motives to be at, in our interaction with, with people in our lives. And so, again, it's having motives that line up with the heart of God and, and motives that, that 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 come from a place of wanting to bring life into into a people and into a situation. And Jesus calls that purity, purity. So so we're we're, we're aiming to be morally pure. Uh, we're aiming for our motives to be pure and we're doing all of this so we can continue to see and encounter and experience more of God so I'm I'm, I'm becoming sensitive to, to my morals to my motives and then the third one I feel like we can often overlook and sometimes excuse but it is so important and it's our methods so purity is being honest in your methods and um, so I'm gonna be quick on this one, but just like like, you know, maybe you can hide something on your taxes, or maybe you can maybe you can manipulate someone uh in, in buying something or or manipulate someone in selling something by maybe trying to cover something up and hope they don't see it until it's until they're, you know, twenty miles down the road and the checks are already changed hands or whatever that it might be. And, uh, you know, do do these things sometimes, maybe make more money, get a better profit or whatever it might be. But um, our methods of how we handle things as the body of Christ, amen, and as the bride of Christ and doing everything in integrity and honor that reflects him is so important. And so, you know, maybe we can get away with that uh, with our, with our, in our taxes or this or that or whatever, but you know uh, nothing's hidden from the eyes of the Lord and you'll never gain anything by being dishonest, that, that you'll gain more than what you lose, will lose from experiencing Him by not having a pure heart in your methods. So good? Praise God. Um, he knows our motives and He can see our methods, so purity is honesty in every area of our life? When no one's looking, did I pay for that? Whatever that it was, um, come on, amen. So we, we we may get a we may be, we may, we may get a better deal by a by a dishonest method. Maybe hide as much information as possible, uh, and actually still at the end, uh, you know, obviously lose out with God if we're not operating in a pure heart, amen. So impurity isn't just an issue of morals and an issue of motives. It's, all, it's also the methods of how we walk out business, uh, how we walk out ministry, and how we walk out our relationships with people, uh, how we handle our finances. All of those things, guys, are related to our pure heart. And, and, and the man, the, the heartbeat in that is, is it's directly related to how we see God and how we encounter God. And that's something. Amen. Let me tell you, when you live in purity and you do what's right, he will always, always bless you way further than what you can gain by not being right or having proper methods here. Amen. And so Lord help us to to be men and women of integrity and to and to walk in that. Amen. The the last thing that I'll that I'll say about this, well, let me do this real quick. Um Blessed are the pure in heart, morals, morals motives, methods. And then, and then again, because uh, you just can't miss this. For they shall see God. Such a, an amazing reality to grab a hold of. The pure in heart will have an increased capacity to experience God. Okay. Um, I'll just keep repeating myself. The degree that we encounter and experience God is directly related to our purity. Directly related to our purity. There's no substitute for purity. There's no, there's no large amount of tithe that we could give or no, no act of service that we could go do. All those things. Uh, nothing. There's no substitute for, for having a pure heart. So, and then, and then I, I do want you to see this. Because, our, again, our motives are important. So our motive, purity doesn't earn us revelation. Um, a pure, what a pure heart does is it positions our heart rightly before the fire of God. Amen. So it's like, okay, you did this. Now I'm going to give you this. And he says, now, because you're living purity, now your heart is in the right posture to see me and encounter me. And you have placed now your heart before my fire and I'm about to burn in you. Isn't that Beautiful. So, God, help us. Help us, Lord. So good. Okay. Everybody good? Um, So, let's jump into this. Uh, uh, The seventh one is um, Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, oh, we could spend some time on this one. We'll probably maybe finish out the night with it and then and then uh, do the last one next week with some other things. but so I want to talk about this. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. What does this look like? It's a question you always want to ask yourself. What's this look like? What's it saying? What was, what's it saying in context there? What's it saying to me today? How can I walk this out? How can I live this? Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. So when I look at this word peacemaker, and I break this down, uh, I, 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 like, I, I want you to maybe uh, try to look at this in two different dimensions, two dimensions of a peacemaker. The first dimension of a peacemaker is to avoid creating strife. By our own pride and selfishness, uh, our own choices, and our own insistence on things that, that come out of pride, right? So when we avoid bringing things into relationship that break the relationship, that's called being a peacemaker. So I think, ah, we probably need to step into that a little bit because, you know, someone might think that they're a peacemaker because they're the first one to d- jump on a tagline where they see people are upset and want to get involved in it. Sometimes they're just being nosy. Sometimes they might want to actually, you know, bring peace into that situation. But, but the, other, the other dynamic of that, that I want us to see first or to mention is a peacemaker avoids making anything happen where peacemaking is needed. (laughs) Right? Sounds pretty good. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to you know solve people's issues and problems and do this. But I think I think we need to start with this first dimension and try to live our life in a way with the people around us where we're where we're where we're living out these other and, and again all these beatitudes have got to go together because we're living poor in spirit and and we're we are we're spiritually mourning and we're operating in meekness and we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and we're living and releasing and showing mercy and. In all these ways, and we're seeking to have a pure heart, right? Like then, this dimension of being a peacemaker is going to be pretty easy because we're going to be we're going to be handling and treating people with with tenderness and mercy in the way that the Lord's called us to. So, the first part of peacemaking is living that way of not not creating anything where we would need to make peace. Is that good? All right and then the second side of that which we're familiar with is doing the hard work to repair and restore a relationship and um uh, for time reasons, I'm not going to to break down uh, this in all the different dimensions that I wanted to. But there's a couple areas in this. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we're the peacemaker in situations with people that we need to make peace with, or they need to make peace with us. And then one of us steps up, and there's agreement. Hey, can we talk? Yeah, yeah. And we enter into this like what we're talking about talk about and do it in a biblical way. That we're peacemakers in that. Um, the other area that, that I feel like we need to be aware of that fits into this is, is that we're peacemakers within the body of Christ, within our family. Sometimes as parents, we're peacemakers between our children or whatever that it is with close friends or this or that. And when where we have that opportunity and that invitation, that availability uh, to be able to step in sometimes as a third party, that God will put us in a place to be able to, to do that at. So that's the second. Second dimension, then, is doing the hard work to repair and restore a relationship where there's a, where there's a struggle, where there's a fence, where there's some type of breach in that relationship, amen? And so I'm just going to share some things about, about this uh, dynamic of being a peacemaker. Is, um, it takes time. Um, so I, I feel like this is where mercy comes in at because we've got to be willing to take time. Um, and it takes time to hear people's hearts. It takes time to take an evening out uh, away from your husband or wife or this or that, or, you know, in a couple hours here or there on the phone or whatever that it may be, but it, it takes time to hear people's hearts. And and it, and it, and it takes time to, to be able to honor them properly. Um, and then sometimes if we're... In, involved in that breach of a relationship or whatever, and we're part of where that strife is at, um, it takes humility to recognize that how you feel is real, but it's not always right. Amen? How we feel is real, but it's not always right. If you come to Pastor Scott's office for counseling, at some point in time you have had or will have me tell you that how you feel is real, and we're going to validate that. We're going to love on you, and then now we're going to bring you into what's real because that's where your healing's at, okay? Um, so just a little something to drop in you there. Um, peacemakers uh, peacemakers validate how people feel while leading them back in alignment to God's heart, His will, and His truth, let me tell you something, if you're just hanging around with someone that's going through something, they're just giving you the whole story about how much something's wrong, and you're just listening to that, blah, 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 and all you're doing is validating and agreeing with how right they are, and this and that, and then you're not doing anything to lead them back in alignment in their own heart where they're at with God, and forgiveness and healing or whatever needs to be done, then you're not operating as a peacemaker, Okay? So peacemakers validate how people feel while leading them back in alignment to God's heart, his will, and his truth. Because ultimately, again, that's the only place for true healing. So we want to love people enough to have mercy, have meekness, show compassion, um, validate what they've been through and how they feel. Uh, But then we want to be like, okay, now what's, what's, what's the truth in this? Like what's real here? What's just emotions? We can get down to it, and then we we can lead in healing. So peacemakers are willing to invest their time and energy into people because they know (coughs) it's the heart of God. Amen. Now. Remember the, uh, the the beatitude before this is purity. Before that, we have pursuit of righteousness and and meekness. So they all go hand in hand. So when you're when you're when you're stepping in to be a peacemaker, um, um, you've got, you got you remember that you're pursuing peacemaking that is based on purity, right? Because this is where motives come in. This is where we, this we're going to have a pure heart. If we want to see God, and if you're ever in a place where you're being a peacemaker, you need the heart of God in it, right? Right? So if our motives aren't right and why we're having that meeting or why we're sharing what we're sharing, like if we're just wanting to drop all the dirt out there and make them feel bad or this or that, then we're already going to miss it. We're not going to truly see God in that situation. So again, it comes back then to a pure heart. And it's going ha- to come back to, to what is my motive in, in what I'm doing here and in, in ultimately that I'm pursuing peacemaking that's fully based, based on, on purity. And then in that, sometimes, like if you're that if you're that peacemaker, you're that third party peacemaker, then you're insisting on dimensions of purity in in the process with with everyone that's involved. So again, those through life experiences, without this, without this, if it's not based on purity and, and this pursuit of truly making godly peace, um, both people will more than likely. Uh, leave still being mad at each other. And then if you're the third-party peacemaker in it, then more than likely not only will they leave mad at each other, but now they're going to leave mad at you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, Is this okay? You guys good? Uh, Part of part of being a peacemaker um, is refusing to be argumentative or contentious. So if my sister hurt me, and she's been mad at me for a couple days, and I've been with the Lord, and I feel like she's been with the Lord, and and God begins to deal with me, and my heart be- is be. Is lining up in purity. He says, "You need to go make this thing right." Amen. And then, and then I go, I go to my, I go to my sister, and um, and I begin to to work through these areas of truly operating in purity and coming to a place of making peace. How many of you know? You're you, uh, you don't have to agree to make peace. Matter of fact, a lot of times in peacemaking, you're not coming to an agreement. You're just agreeing that that. That each of your value is way greater than the value of what you're not disagreeing on. Amen? And then, but if I come to my sister and I'm ready and she said she was, but I start to, in my peacekeeping, just share my heart with her, and then she she comes back with the opposite and kind of starts to get, you know, no, that's not what you did or this or that or blah, and and that thing kind of can become argumentative, it's time to stop that right there. And it needs to be okay. Like sometimes we just need, okay, let's stop. I love you too much. Let's go. You go pray, and I'm going to go pray, and let's ask the Lord to reveal what we need to see in each of us. I'm going to pray for you. You pray for me, but I'm going to be praying for me too, and you be praying for you. And let's ask the Lord to show us where we need to be adjusted in our own hearts, and then and then we can come back to that. But this is just a key area if we if we truly want to not just come and throw a whole bunch of junk out on the table and then expect things to be fixed. Uh, but if we truly want to be peacemakers, then this is such a critical part of it right here that um, that we that we can operate. In, in, this, in this way. Amen? And so, uh, n- not being argumentative or contentious. And like I said, sometimes it's okay to step away and be in agreement in it and then, and then come back to get another time. But um, another thing is, is just not to, not to push your own agenda uh, at, at all costs. Um, but, you know, it, it says, you know, depends, as much as it depends on you, walk in meekness. Walk in tenderness and in purity, and you'll bring peace to the situ into the situations. Okay, and so um, I'll finish with this. Maybe a so. I, I just want to be clear because um, you know peacekeeping and peacemaking aren't aren't the same thing. Um, and everything that we're doing, it's done out of purity and it's done done in a, in the view of. a being be, bringing everyone in alignment with the heart of God but um, but peace peacemaking is not peace at any cost that's just that's just people pleasing see the difference so it's not peace at any cost just to tell people what they want to hear or this or that that's not n- nothing's going to change in that situation. And so it's not it's not that we that we just ignore something that's been done or agree with someone's bad behavior or how they feel and validate that they have right to be mad or angry or this or that or whatever or so discord or who knows whatever might be happening but we want peace on God's terms. So a peacemaker is always Seeking peace on God's terms, with gentleness and mercy with everyone involved, and in tenderness, Amen. And so uh, that's our aim. So, so, so that's what we're aiming for. Therefore, we don't we don't compromise truth and righteousness in our peacemaking in any way. And uh, and then with that being said, sometimes uh, peacemaking um turns against us when someone is unwilling to take this path and and ultimately that's just uh, we all have a self will and so you know it takes people that are willing to be humble, to listen, to take responsibility, to forgive, to be merciful, to pursue a pure heart. In that matter, uh, morals, um, motives, methods, all these things that God's given us. Amen. Which kind of leads us into the last one. And I've got seven minutes left, so let's just see how far we can get. But this one's really probably going to tap back into next week, but let's Get our whistle wet. The eighth one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's, uh, that's verse 10. Now, if it goes on in verse 11 and 12, let me read this real quick because this is so beautiful. Then in verse 11, it says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And then Jesus said in verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were uh, before you. Isn't that powerful? Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven. Um, So here we go. Let's just open this up for a minute here, but um, sometimes in the pursuit of purity in your own life or in the pursuit of seeing purity in the lives of others, that's called peacemaking, there there can be a violent resistance against it um, because not everyone will want God's way, amen? Just the nature of the beast, and this again, what was revealed at the beginning of this class, with with where with everything's internal and the in the issues of the heart, and so um, so the and, and even just to think about this, um, you know, the very apostles who brought the ways of uh, of God to the nations and brought peace to so many people were were the very ones who experienced persecution, right? So they went out. They were, they, were, they were standing for righteousness for his namesake. And then yet in, in doing that, there's this, pers- there's this persecution that's there. So, and, and here is, is the mindset that Jesus tells us to have. He says, Rejoice. Now, think about this. We're talking about persecution, being persecuted. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus is telling us followers that persecution will exist. Now, when we we think of persecution, a lot of times we think of of, of people in China. We think about the people in Israel right now, uh, different nations that their lives are being threatened, whatever it may be. And that obviously is the... That's persecution at its greatest level. But I think a lot of times what we need to grab a hold of in here in this beatitude is that it's how we handle and stand up under persecution when we're standing for righteousness with the people that disagree or come at us. Amen? That, that's in our world, in our business, in our family, whatever whatever that it, that that it might be. And here Jesus says, "Listen, rejoice and be glad." He tells his followers that persecution is going to exist, and then he tells them how to respond to it: rejoice and be again, be exceedingly glad. And so I'm gonna I'll give you this real quick: um, three three things to keep in mind. Three things to keep in mind. Three three. Areas of scripture. There's promises that that when we're feeling persecution with a friend, with a church member, uh, um, whatever that it, that it may be, someone in the world, a coworker, this standing up, standing up and facing persecution and doing it with a pure heart, with right motives. All the other beatitudes have to be operating right whenever whenever you're doing this. But here's three three things to keep in mind. Number one. The process of persecution produces character when, when we keep our hearts pure. The process of persecution produces character when we keep our hearts pure. So you have to keep in mind that you're taking a stand for righteousness. You're not, you're not taking a stand for you. Right? That's the key. It's not being persecuted for fleshiness or for your own, for your, your foolishness. It's not being persecuted for your own gain, but it's for righteousness. It's for his name's sake. Amen? And then, but as you take a stand in these areas, any persecution you face will produce character as you keep your heart pure with humility and tenderness. Now, I'll give you a scripture passage to write down, then I'm going to go to the next one. I'm not going to read it tonight. But if, if you if you go and you read Romans chapter 5 verse 1 through 5, you'll see this that persecution handled rightly can actually accelerate your growth. Tribulation produces perseverance. Tribulation Persecution produces perseverance, that produces character, that produces hope. So literally we can grow. If we stay pure and we honor God in the face of this adversity and under persecution for, for standing up for his namesake, you you're actually will find that it produces character and increases and accelerates it in your life. Amen. This is a really cool one though the second one is the spirit of glory will rest upon you. you guys have you guys ever read this oh my goodness first peter chapter 4 verse 12 to 17 and, and he, he talks here he talks here about bearing reproaches and people expressing disapproval of you. And he's talking about from believers to unbelievers. And then in verse 14 he says, "If you are reproached for the name of Christ, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's powerful. That's powerful. Wow. Peter says, when people are reviling you, the spirit of the glory will rest on you and you'll be you'll you'll in, in a heightened way. But, but again, I want to take you back a little bit because this depends on our response. So if they're speaking against us and we're not living out these beatitudes and we have a critical or defensive uh, attitude and we're not showing meekness and we're not showing mercy, but we're striking back, if we're complaining and Instead of rejoicing, right, which is what Jesus says here in 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 how we deal with persecution, be 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 it, uh, uh, rejoicing exceedingly. Um, then then and in, in we're complaining instead. Then the 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 spirit of glory isn't going to rest upon us, but it can, it can. Isn't that awesome? Come on. Okay, never mind. And the third one is how he finishes this up and I covered this but Matthew 5:12 which is here in this, this final B attitude. So praise God, we made it through all eight. Um, the, the, third, the third thing to keep in mind when you're, you're, we're trying to sustain under persecution of people close to you, people around you, uh, great is your reward in heaven, Jesus says. He didn't just say, I have a reward for you, but Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven, Matthew 5, 12. So that's when, you know, the exchange rate is so high. For for us to stand for righteousness, for the church in this day and age right now to stand for truth, to stand for God's word, to stand for how he designed marriage between a man and a woman, for the church to stand right now like never before that God created male and female, period. For us to stand, these are just a couple things that we know, but if we stand for righteousness, we stand for truth in his namesake, amen, then these things right here, you will ever escalate in maturity, the spirit of glory will rest upon you. And Jesus says, as you rejoice in that persecution, as you stand for my namesake, then he says, great is your reward in heaven. I'll close with this verse real quick. Well, in Acts chapter 5, the, the apostles were out ministering, right, and, and they were preaching in the name of, Je- of Jesus in the temple. And the spiritual leaders come and get them, and they, they kind of kind of beat them a little bit. They put them in jail. They're in jail. What happens in jail? The angel of the Lord comes, and the angel of the Lord comes, and he, he frees them out, out of jail. And the people are like, where'd they go? Where'd they find them at? Where'd they go? They were just beaten, put in jail. Where'd they go back to? right back to the temple and what are they doing they're preaching the name of Jesus spiritual leaders come back and and they beat them they beat them they come together like man the the, the people are going to get upset with this anyways they end up beating them again and letting them go and you know what how the what the disciples response was at the end says so they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name isn't that awesome how many want to pray for a spirit of boldness to rise up in us, man? These beatitudes are so. Th- this is this is this is all about Jesus preparing His bride to live uh, live as King's kids, to live a kingdom lifestyle. And then He says, "If you'll live as my kids, as you as, as you'll live this kingdom lifestyle, here's what I have for you." And then here's all these. We're gonna we're gonna receive mercy. We're gonna we're gonna be filled, right? Um, all of these things. We're gonna see God as we pursue purity morally and with our motives and with our death. Yes. Amen. Thank you guys. I'll pray. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for a great night. Thank you for your word. Thank you for stirring my heart. Thank you for drawing me closer to you. Holy Spirit, I need you. I want to do better. I want to line up with this. I want to live as a child of king. I want to live a supernatural lifestyle. I want to see God. I want to experience God. I need his mercy, so I want to be merciful. I want to operate in meekness, God. I want to be a peacemaker, God. I want to be able to stand strong for your word and for your namesake and be able to rejoice under persecution. So, Lord, this is what you've called us to. Help us to put this on. Help us to step into it and help us to walk into it for your kingdom and for your glory and to live out your purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time.